0: All right, I'd, I'd like to do a bit of a different Father's Day message. And um, yeah, Father's Day, is a, uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's not what it used to be. It's not what it used to be. You know, we could do a Father's Day message about the ideal man. There's a bit of a convention about these things. I'm supposed to preach about what it means to be a godly man, all those sorts of things. But half of you would probably switch off uh, because you're not a man um, or wish you could find a, wish you could find a man like that. Uh, Or you're a man that's not like that, so it just crash and burn. Um, We could do a message about being a great father, but a lot of us didn't have great fathers, so we just feel bad. Um, We could regret the shortfall of their own father or yourself. So let's not do that. Can we break convention a bit today? Uh, What I'd like to do is talk about coming to the father, the good father, the father that we need the most. And um, I want to talk about that experience of coming to the father. Sometimes we call them come to Jesus moments. Anyone ever heard of those? Um, the trouble with the come to Jesus moment is that the world's grabbed hold of that saying. And it's, it's a saying that sort of means here's a moment we're going we're to have to deal with some hard stuff, you know. And, and that carries an essence of what that's about. But coming to Jesus, coming to the Father is so much more than that. We need to come to the Father. We need to come. And sometimes we don't need to even understand all that He is. And, you know, I love that in uh, John's epistle, he says, you know, we know and rely on the love that God has for us. There's so much we don't understand and yet we can rely on his goodness, we can rely on his character and in those moments when the path we're on is going the wrong way, where life hasn't worked out and that's, to be honest, that's most of us in the room, welcome to 2022, or those days when we just feel like we're lost, uh, we're in need, we're alone, we're out of our depth. That's about every second day for me. I need a come-to-Jesus moment most days of the week. Some days we just have a sudden realisation that God is real. You know, for those of us who aren't used to church world or or Christian world, and I, I just had a great time this week just sharing with a couple of people who come to our church that aren't even what we would call a Christian yet, but on that beautiful path. Of God awareness where it's like suddenly I know there's more, it doesn't make sense. I'm a scientist or whatever, but I know I'm I just know beyond knowing that there's more. Can you help me on that path? And we have this come to Jesus moment where we we get there in the end and we go, not only is there more to this, there's ramifications for who I am and I need help and I can't live this life on my own. And it's a come to Jesus moment. And today I'm hoping that some of us just can enjoy a come to Jesus moment. And we don't know what he's like fully, but we know he's trustworthy. We're sure he must be good, otherwise nothing else makes sense. We live in the hope and the belief that he's bigger than all this. He's bigger than our doubts. He's bigger than our failures. He's bigger than this mess. He's not intimidated by the world or all the trouble that goes on. it. He's bigger than all of that. He's bigger than when I just muck it up all the time. He's big and he's embracing and he doesn't reject me when I need him the most. That's the God I come to. I don't come to him based on who I am, but on who he is. So I wonder if it's time for you to come to the Father today. And in these moments, you know, I know, I know as, a, as a, an Australian male, I'm about as old school as I come in that sense. Come to Jesus moments. You know, I've had some incredible come to Jesus moments in my life. Coming to the Father, I've told many of the stories here. And it's, it's, it's a paradox. We're drawn to them. We're drawn. We, just, we want that. We wanna just be able to let the guard down and let our shoulders sag a little bit, not have to look while we're getting it right and just come. But we're repelled by them at the same time. We, we, the shame in us and the embarrassment of, oh, do we need to be that guy or that girl? And, and so we, we wanna press in, but we wanna pull back. And can we do this in private? You know? and absolutely, yes, you can. We want to be able to stop pretending and get off the treadmill of life where we're just performing and running and we can't stop and we just want to stop and we just want to pause and we just want to find a hill somewhere and sit under that and just come to the Father. But we also want to protect our persona, our dignity and not be vulnerable. But coming to Jesus is that ultimate vulnerable moment where I'm broken and I need you and, and I can't do this thing on my own. And so we come to the Father helpless and uh, reliant on His purpose for our life, but it's in those moments, they're the best moments of life. It's actually a Christian's finest hour. Come to Jesus. We realise who we really are and who we're really not and and we get to live from the magnitude of God's just raw affection of a a dad who has no fault and can't not love us and that He's so much bigger than all our faults. And and the, the Scriptures are full of examples of these come to Jesus moments and they're always messy and they're always gritty and they're always inconvenient uh, and there's a little bit of dignity that goes with it, you know, and, and, and yet we come out of it more dignified than when we went in. And there's scenes of uh, often sudden revelation in our life or of life change, we, we come in this way but we're going that way now and we know we all need them now and again. So I just wonder if you need a, a come to Jesus moment today. It looks different for all of us. Everyone's come to Jesus. If you read the Scriptures looking for them, Old Testament's chock full. I love Nebuchadnezzar. I don't know if you know the story of King Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel. This guys he's, he's like the hero of the day in his own eyes. I built the hanging gardens of Babylon. Look at this thing that I've done for my own glory. I've done this. Look at this thing. It's, it's amazing. And God speaks to him and, and ends up having to break him and send him out into the wilderness. And it says he goes for seven times. And uh, some translations say seven years, but it's seven times. It's perfect amount of appropriate times, it's saying. It's saying you're going out in that wilderness until the job is done, until you realise one thing, until you can just come to the Father, till you can come to Jesus, and you can lift your eyes to heaven and say, it's not me, it's Him. It's not about what I've created. It's me having the privilege to work with Him and be in His creation. Come to Jesus moments. They're fantastic. New Testament's just got some pearlers, hasn't it? The woman at the well, completely unexpected. Jesus just surprises us, sneaks up. And the response that comes from a heart. And there's always a response from our come to Jesus moments. We can always catch them, capture them with a phrase. And, and she runs in the town and goes, you've got to meet this man who's told me everything I've ever done. For most of us, that's like, ah. but for her, it's freeing, liberty at last. It's out there. It's known. And he loves me anyway. That's freedom. Where we don't have to pretend. We don't have to have the right car and the right number plate. I get impressed by some of your number plates. I can't afford those suckers, hey! But uh, let alone the car to put them on. But there's none of that. It's just like it's okay. You've got a, an old Orion with 220,000 kilometres on it, and I'm pitching for the record. I'm going for 400. Come on, baby, just to get over myself. <laughs> I love Saul who becomes Paul in that in that knock off your high horse moment where he's he's dedicated he's all his energy and all his life to this religion this this beautiful Hebrew thing that the world doesn't deserve and yet he's the top of the tree and the top of the mountain and he just gets this sudden come to Jesus moment where he's knocked off his high horse and in, in the days following he's just all he can do is curl himself up in a dark corner blind going everything I've stood for is meaningless. Come to Jesus. I wonder if we need one of those moments and there's all types get to experience that. It's not just the guys, or the girls, or the introverts, or the extroverts it's, it's no, there's no one category. It's not those perfect ones who've never made a mistake, and they, you know those ones—they're so annoying. You know, they're like 20-something; they've never done anything wrong. Brought up in the church, never had a bad mood—they're always smiling. Just have faith, brother. Jesus is going to make it all fine. Then life hits you like a train wreck. It hasn't gone all fine. My life is horrible. All the stuff happens to us. The scarred people, the imperfect people like me, those who've made lots of mistakes and whose life went way off plan so often. A few, there are a few seats reserved for the faultless at Jesus' side. Let me tell you. I love what he says. Blessed are they that can mourn for they will be comforted. It's only those who can actually mourn about their life. My daughter, I think it was, put a little, little blog post online. I, 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 don't, I never quote online. I only quote the Bible, obviously, ever. But uh, this one, this one's so true for this moment. And a little bit of it at the end of it said, you may not be unscarred Penny Pentecost or Betty Baptist, but those aren't the only names written upon his heart if you're looking for your tribe for people with blood beneath their fingernails because they had to crawl back to the cross instead of flawlessly sashaying there." walk on over, come and sit over here by David and Mary Magdalene and Jonah and Rahab and Moses and Joseph and Elijah and John and James and Peter and me. Come and sit here, that's where you belong. So the crime of modern life is that we've taught ourselves to lean away from reliance, not lean into it. And so we seek our own comfort, not not seek the spirit. And God becomes the last resort, not the first resort. And so we get to miss this unfiltered uh, release of just landing in God's hands, which is there's nothing better than that. It's what we've sung about. There's nothing better than you. And yet we find everything else but that. And so periodically we just need to invade the busyness and the chaos and just come and have a come-to-Jesus moment. So I'm hoping some of you take the time to do that on Father's Day. Two examples of this today, you know, and I brought them before, but this, this has really been my year, I think, for these two stories I want to bring. One's uh, a woman and one's a man, but both exemplify what it looks like. And I started, this today's message was only going to be about that guy that, I, that I'll get to towards the end, but I thought it so only represents part of who we are, because it's not about men today, this is about fatherhood and coming to a father who's big enough for all of it. But I, but I haven't been able to get past this story of, the, of Mary of Bethany. An embarrassing moment for everyone who was there. It should have been embarrassing for her, but she was the only one who wasn't. And the situation there is that uh, there's been a, a feast. Uh, Simon the leper, who was also a, a Pharisee, I think, uh, called a dinner. Jesus was a guest of honor, but they were, they're all Pharisees and their chest is pumped out and they're, they're self righteous, you know. And, and here comes Mary of Bethany, who's called a sinful woman, uh, um, the inference being uh, that she was a prostitute and lived a life that uh, was far from anything God would have planned. And the irony being that in those days, the Pharisees uh, may well have privately been the one who visited her, so they knew exactly what her shame was because they were part of it, yet they were pumped up, you know. But I love, I love her reality and I love her as a human being. There's so much about her that we need to become like, which is the antithesis of what religion should tell you. But Jesus lifts her up and says, you, we should all be like her. At the end, it's complicated. Her life is messed up, it's broken. It didn't go to anyone's plan. But we need to understand whatever path diversion that we've been on in life, it may not have been God's plan, but it's never too late to come back. Or we may have started a journey with good intentions and God says, well, I'm with you on that journey, but it goes wrong halfway through and suddenly a good permitted plan becomes the bad plan. We think, I've missed it. God's turned right and I've turned left. But in all of those moments, he's there and he just says, I don't ask you to or expect you to always get it right. All I ask of you is to do what she did, no matter where we are, no matter how it feels, no matter how broken and imperfect it is to come to Jesus, just come. And I just love the fact that her sincere, the the sincerity of her worship, just the unfilteredness of it wasn't flowing from a perfect story. It never said she got it right. And all the, all the evidence would indicate that self-righteous people actually lean away from these moments because we want to protect our dignity. That's the thing that we show off. But when the proud people become aware of sin, and I've had plenty of years living in pride, we tend to be the ones who judge and we, we're the ones who separate. We stand apart and we, we, we define by performance. But when the humble ones that are aware of sin, their response is her response. It's to sacrifice. It's to worship. So it says in Matthew 26, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured in his head as he was reclining at the table. So he didn't wait for her to come to him. She went for him to go to her. She went. She took the initiative. She she instigated this come to Jesus moment. It's almost like there's no choice left in my life. How can I not do this? How can I go through the religious ritual of my life? Week after week, Sunday after Sunday or whatever it is, how can, I, how can I have that sit in the chair, stand up when it's right and wrong moment? How can I do all that and not have this? How can I not allow myself to go here? Because this is the real part. The rest of it's, well, good on you. We've had a great week. We've done well. And, but this is where it really, really happens. These are the moments that Jesus says, we need to all be like that. And the, the indignity of John 12 talks about the same passage where she, she wiped her, his feet dusty feet with, with her hair and her tears and the alabaster jar, the only thing of worth in a life. It's like us with our careers and our, all our possessions and our persona and our reputation smashes that jar. The perfume's got to be released because all of that means nothing. I can't have that if it's going to stop all this being released. We can't have our life and be okay with it and not have this come to Jesus moment be released in our life every now and again. I don't know how often, weekly, monthly, annually, but if you've never had that moment where your heart's just broken and you've said, I'm gonna smash this, this jar of my life as impressive as it is, if it's stopping me from letting the, the fragrance of Jesus and sincere worship go out and, and the, the, the fact that it's combined with tears. She's crying because of her own sin. She's crying because of how good he is that he still accepts her. She's crying because all the eyes are judging her. She's all alone alone except for him, and no one else matters. Nothing else matters except him. That's the best moment of our life is to get in those moments. It's not scripted. It's not a ritual. It's just driven by this unrestrained heart that overflows. And it's an experience that we can all have and it's defined by an awareness of of our inadequacy. It's aware of how far we fall short, this sense of helplessness that we can't do much about it, and just this idea of thanks. And it just goes of all that I know about myself, he loves me. And not only, not only in a way where he just puts up with me and accepts us because he somehow legally has to, that he loves you. He will do anything to be more and a greater part of our life. So I wonder how long it's been since you've had a come to Jesus moment like that. And I love the way Jesus just stops stops, the game. He just says, hang on a sec, you guys. There's judgment. We're talking about money here. Judas says, that's a, a year's wages there. What is that? 80,000, $100,000 worth. What is this perfume, my Lord? And she just throws it away. Can you contemplate throwing away a year of your salary? Not not, not just to the church for good works. There's nothing coming out of this except a, a, an aroma of worship. She hasn't given it to the poor. She hasn't done anything. She's just said, this All that I have must be spent on worship. A staggering thought. How's she going to live? She doesn't care because this meant way more. And so Jesus says, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Who'd have thought Mary of Bethany, the worst, the lowest and the least, would be more famous than anyone else in that room who'd spent their whole life trying to find righteousness? So, you can sort of rightly assume God loves when we come to Him this way. There's no hiding, there's no excusing ourselves and saying, Look, I, I did good here, but you know, it's not saying sorry, it's not even raising the issue of what you've done wrong. It's just celebrating without constraint how good God is. So, I just wonder if, if I'm past you or you're past you having this moment. And then there's the next guy the man we all love to mock, Simon Peter. I love his come to Jesus moments. This guy is just a textbook. Half the time I'm sure he's a lunatic. But he's, he's just, I don't know if you understand personality types, but he's a type one on the Enneagram uh, and he's a high D on the disc. He, he, all he can do is point his finger and go, I'm going that way and so are you. It's like, boom, you know, he's just leader, leader, leader. And he's an old school uh, man's man. Can I even say that in 2022? If you, if you, if you paint your walls teal and all that, it's, forgive me. Um, he, he's, a, he's a man, he's just, his knuckles dragging the ground. He's, he should have had a shave years ago. He probably smells like a fish. He's, and he's just the real deal. He's self-employed. He's prepared to make the big calls quick. You know, he puts his hand up to lead the pack. I'll lead him, you know. A, a, a church leader's dream in that sense. We're looking for a leader. and Hey, I'll lead, what am I leading? Doesn't matter, I'm just gonna be awesome at it. Just call me Peter, you know. But this guy, he always assumed uh, his intentions would equate to his outcomes. He always thought the intent of my heart, this is how this is going to roll. It's going to be awesome, actually, because I've got such a good intent about that. You want me to catch men instead of fish? I'm an awesome fisherman. How good an evangelist am I going to be? Yeah, yeah, I'm in for that. Jesus, I can walk on water. Just call me. I can walk on water too. I'm in for that. Fail. And then he has the audacity one day just to say, even if all these other guys around you who he's been competing against for the last three years, like Jesus, don't worry about them. Can I be at your right hand, this guy? Even if they all fall on account of you, he says in Matthew 26, I never will. Who would, who would say that? In the midst, they're all listening. It's like, we're, we're here, Peter. We can hear you, man. You know, if all these roosters fall, I'm your guy. Just call me Peter, you know. I'm the rock. And there's, there's something about the human condition that, that judges other people's act on their actions, but judge ourselves by our intentions. Isn't that true? So, oh, well, I meant well, uh, but I don't think Peter suffered from self-examination too often. I don't think he really went there too much. You know, oh, I, I meant that. I meant that. Self-criticism didn't wasn't part of his vocab. I think he had a high self-esteem problem going on. He was he was beyond that. You know, I meant well. I had a go. You guys didn't have a go. He doesn't remember the failure. It's just I had a go. And I just wonder how he decompressed himself after that moment. You know that moment where it's like, who is this guy? Jesus says, who do you say I am? Oh, you're the Christ. Jesus goes, you're not smart enough to think of that, but well done, mate, winner, 10 out of 10 for that. And Peter's like, yeah. And then Jesus says, well, I've got to go to the cross and Peter's going, I'm thinking empires. I'm thinking right and left hand, we're going to overthrow Rome, kick Herod out, get rid of the Pharisees. Let's have a seat in the temple right next to the, The tabernacle will be just fine, you know. He's got it all mapped out. Jesus is talking about dying and saying they've got to die as well. And Jesus goes, get behind me, Satan, when he tries to talk Jesus out of it. So he's gone from 10 out of 10, Pete, to get behind me, Satan. And like, I'm sure Simon Peter would have been that guy that gone, all the rest of them are going, mate, you sucked with that. And he's gone, did you hear my first, you hear what he said after the first answer? You got that one right. And that's all he's remembering. He's, he's sort of that guy. And he can go on for years in this sort of mindset in our life. We can all be a bit, of, bit like Simon Peter with those uh, internal earmuffs on like he had. Like my intentions were good, but the, this trail of destruction behind me that I've caused by all my imperfections and my big mouth and my good intentions that I can't follow through with, that damage, I don't know what that's about, but it can't be too serious because I mean well. Now it's getting quiet, hey? This is us. He is me. Because we all have this trail behind us. And we don't hear ourselves. We don't see ourselves as the poor people who surround us do. Hey, you offended people when you do that, you know? You do it all the time. It really hurts people. I get really hurt when you disregard me like that. And we hear these words. And it's a, it's a small thing to you, they say, but you're leaving that trail of mess behind you. And we can't put it together. We go, no, you're being too hard on me. You know, I've got good intentions. I don't mean to hurt you. It's not my intent. Yeah, but the damage is there. The damage is around us of the life that we live. And then one day the reality check hits us. We look around and we go, that actually is caused by me. I've done that. All those little things that I thought were inconsequential, they were big things. I've hurt a lot of people. I've said the wrong thing so many times. I had no idea the impact that it has on people's lives. I've hurt them, we've all hurt them and it's a horrifying reality if you allow yourself to just go there for a moment that the little things in my life affect other people hugely and then we realise it's too late now, I can't undo that. Has anyone ever related to this moment or is this just a, an old man on Father's Day thing? You look behind you and, you and you look at the years and you celebrate all the good things but you realise there's a lot of mess back there that's been caused by my, my failings that I overlooked because our were good intentions gone wrong. But then Peter, he failed more publicly than the whole lot. All these guys will walk away, but not me. And he's the one who, before the crow, uh, rooster crowed three times. He's in public. I don't know Jesus. I don't know Jesus. So he's, he's not only blown it, he's blown it in the highest forum. It's like all over Facebook. Let's replay that loop again. I don't know Jesus. I don't know Jesus, you know, and it's like it's trending, man. And he's, he's, he's high. Everyone's talking about Peter. Don't talk he's coming now. What do we do with his character? And the, the, the difficulty is you get to John chapter 21 and, and it's he realises now. So he's had the reality check and he can't even repent of it successfully. And this is the horrible part. We look behind and we see the damage and we go, I actually, that's the best I've got. I can't actually fix this. Not even, if I want to repent, I don't have what it takes to do any better at this. And I need to ask the people around me, to love me or accept me, can they do that knowing that I, ha- I probably can't do much better? I'll try, I'll grow, but this is who I am. So I wonder if this has ever been you, believing that everyone else has a problem but it's you and now you join Simon Peter in the John 21 scene where they're all around the fire. It's after the resurrection and Jesus has come back and, and they're, all, they're all there, all the guys that he's belittled and then he's been the one who, who failed the most. And, and, and that's you, that's you you, on the, you around the fire this time. And everyone's got their eyes on you and you're defenceless about it and you're wrong and you know it. Where do you go? What do you do? This is a come to Jesus moment. This is the very best one. This is repentance party time. You know, something has to change, but you haven't got what it takes. Does anyone ever ever feel like that? It's almost like, I know you don't think pastors are like this, but it's like sin... Sorry repeat circle that we talk about. It's like, I say sorry, but I know tomorrow I'm going to think and do the same thing again. And the shame of that, and it's horrible. It's just that darkness that doesn't belong in a Christian's heart because it's, it's a, a sorrow that leads to death, Paul t- describes it. It doesn't go anywhere because it's relying on its own strength and it knows it can't do any better. It's, it's missing the vital element where Jesus says in Mark 1.15, repent and believe, repent and have faith because I can, I can do through you what you can't do on your own. And so Peter's halfway around that circle and he's defenceless. He knows it's got to change. So what's Jesus say to us in those moments? You're forgiven, is that what we want? Do we want it, knowing that we haven't got what it takes, do we just want him to say, it's okay, I forgive you? Because he does. But is that, is that the formula? So it's sin, sorry, you're forgiven, repeat. That's not the kingdom. That's, that's what pre-Jesus was all about. He offers the Spirit to give us all that we need to not go there anymore. But to go there, we need this come to Jesus moment where we recognise it's not me. It's not the strength that I've got because I can't do it. I never could and I never will. So what does Jesus ask of you at that point? When you say, sorry, God, I've blown it again. Does He say, try harder after He says, I forgive you? And there's gonna come a point where I'm gonna stop saying, I forgive you because if you keep doing this, this means you're going to hell. You're not one of mine after all because this is a trail our brain will inevitably go down to in the end? How can I keep doing this? And so the judgment side of us, the proud side of us says, this means something much worse than I think it does. But what it means is you're a human being. What it means is you need the Father. What it means is you can't do this thing on your own and he doesn't expect you to. He just wants you to come to Jesus. So he doesn't say try harder. He says what Jesus said, Simon, do you love me? That's it. Let's stop stop talking about your performance. How about we have a come to to the Father moment, a come to Jesus moment? Do you love me? Where's your heart at? Let's not talk about how how it's acting out. How's the heart going? Because you promised a few days ago that you love me more than everybody else. You, You said the word, you know, like agape, unconditional, it's all in, I'm there, I'm, you know. But moments later, fail. The ego is writing the checks the character could never cash, you know. And he, and he comes back, well, I love you like a brother. And it's this beautiful moment. He can't match the word that Jesus says, agape, this unconditional thing. I, I'm, I've just realised I'm never there. I've never been there. I thought I was, but I wasn't. Let's talk about the real me and let's talk about how, we, how are we with that. I filio love you. I love you like a brother. That's the best I can do. I've just got, I've just got me. And me is pretty ordinary, I've found out. And that's all I've got. Is there hope for us? Is there any hope for us with that, Jesus? And so at some point we need to all be able to just stop pointing the finger at other people and at life and the government and all other things and just see every time we point it, there's three more pointing back. What are they pointing at? What's my contribution to the mess in life? Could my reactions and my ignoring people and my silence be making life impossible for other people? And just sitting there and realising could I have been wrong all along? And just having this beautiful moment that Simon Peter finally got to have. that This, this habit that I'm harbouring, it's unacceptable and I haven't got the strength to do anything about it. This relationship that I've allowed to grow in my life is completely inappropriate. I need to cut this off because it's killing me and it's killing the people around me. This level of commitment that I have to God, it's, it's half-hearted. And I'm wondering why he won't open doors into more, but I won't give him all of my heart in the first place. Could I have been wrong all along? Is the problem actually me? And this is the most beautiful moment in our lives when we realise, yeah, the problem it is you. It is me. And I need to come to Jesus. <laughs> I need to come to Jesus moment. It's freeing and sort of demoralising all at the same time. But God can only deal in our lives with honesty. He can't deal with pretense. He can't deal with pretending. It's just got to be the way it is. But I just love the godness, the fatherness about his response. It's what a perfect dad would do. He reminds Simon of his calling because the calling wasn't based on performance. It was based on the first question, do you love me? If your love's there, we'll work the rest out. It's a lifelong journey. I'll work with you. It's a bit at a time. It's a step at a time. And you're going to muck it up again and I'll keep calling you back. But do you love me? Because we're going nowhere unless it's based on that. It's based on your relationship with God, not based on your performance or dedicating your life to try and please Him. He'll he'll thank you for that, great. But do you love me or are you just doing the stuff? You're just living the life. I love the book of Ephesians where it's um, to the church that was the best example of the day, you know, and in Revelation, Jesus writes that letter back, hey, you guys really started well, you know, but you've lost that first love and now it's like, what is that now? It's like, I can't, I can't deal with that now. I don't, Jesus just says, I just don't do religion. It's, he never did. He just wants you and every day just to have a come to Jesus moment. So he says, feed my sheep. That was the calling. That was the promise when he first met Simon. And it's based on love, not on how well he went with it. It was never about him. And when he talks to you, he's talking the same way. He, he's, he hasn't called you by uh, job description He hasn't called you by KPI. He hasn't called you by status symbols. He hasn't called you about any of that. He's called you by name, Scripture says over and over again. He's called you by a name. He's called you by a character. He's building you into someone and what you do will overflow out of that. That's God's calling. It's who he's making you to become. And because it's it's human that way, it's relational like that, this dynamic will always be about relationship. So maybe it's time for you to come to the Father. This message is one of those messages where the content is low, the information, it's nothing new. But it's one of those days, it's Father's Day and we're nothing without him in the room and we need him to speak to us. And he wants all of us, me included, to have a come to Jesus moment where we just come and we rely on who he is, not who we are.